This is Pastor Eric. It's about 9 a.m. on Friday, which means it's time for our Friday morning devotion in which we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, I'm outside today, which means the lighting is a little difficult for me to uh, uh, get just right. So if I look all, if it looks like there's a glare or something, that's, that is precisely why. Uh, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today. And uh, this is a passage that has, well, lots of goodies for us, lots of gifts for us to look at. Um, and so uh, without further ado, why don't we just dig into it and take it piece by piece. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 reads like this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, of course, Paul here is referencing the history of Israel in which God guided them by a cloud, you know, a provisional cloud, a protective cloud, uh, as they were in the wilderness. And indeed, as they fled from Egypt and Pharaoh, they passed through the Red Sea. Now, what is interesting is what Paul is going to go on to say in verse 2 about these events. He's going to use language that, well, is quite significant. He says, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Do you hear what Paul calls these events? A baptism. What happened in these events? What happened because of the cloud? What happened because of them passing through the, the sea? Well, the nation of Israel was delivered. The nation of Israel was saved from their enemies, saved from the world. So too, in our baptism, as God guides us by the cloud of the Holy Spirit, we too are saved and delivered. It's a very clear picture. Now, I know some uh, hear baptism and they think only in terms of it's a symbol and it's only a symbol. But here, it really, you really can't go there with this. It's far more than a symbol, at least in Paul's usage of the language here. It is actually the means by which God saves his people. The passing through the Red Sea literally was a baptism for Israel, just as our baptism is our means of God saving us. And he goes on, and all ate the same spiritual food. Where do we find that? When God has manna fall from heaven on them, right? Spiritual bread. It's uh, sometimes uh, references as angel food, but really it's just this sort of spiritual bread that falls from the sky uh, for the people. He provides food for them there. And all ate the same spiritual, or all drank the same spiritual drink. Now, where do we see that? Well, he says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's mind-blowing. The, the, if you remember, back in the nation of Israel's history, the rock that, that Moses was able to draw water from, um, Paul says, no, that, that rock actually was Christ with them. Now, where do we get spiritual food and spiritual drink in our lives today as Christians? Well, of course, we can't help but think about communion. Indeed, Paul is going to reference communion later on in this same chapter. And so that's very clearly what he's talking about here. So, so in other words, Paul is making a connection between what Israel had in Israel, uh, in the wilderness, um, and what we have today through the word and sacraments. That, that, that we are baptized, that we receive the Lord's Supper, and that through those things, we receive life and salvation. Here's the shocker, verse 5. 
Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, we see here that Paul in this chapter is actually giving a warning. He's giving a warning to the Corinthians that just because you have received these things, just because God has delivered you, doesn't mean that you can't reject them. You can't reject these gifts at some point. Yes, it's true. The nation of Israel is a great example for us here. They had received salvation. They had received deliverance. They had received these gifts. And yet, they rejected these gifts. Not all of them, but many of them. As Paul says, verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. What kind of evil did they desire? Well, Paul says, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Well, we don't need to be great students of the Old Testament to know that literally right as they (laughs) get into the wilderness, and Moses is literally, I mean, they can see the smoke from the mountain where God is present with Moses, giving Moses the commands, that even then as they're seeing and have experienced the presence of God in such a dramatic fashion, their first instinct is to worship an idol. In that case, they take off their jewelry, melt it down, and fashion a golden calf and start worshiping around it. It's sort of mind-blowing for us, and it seems almost ridiculous until we think about the ways that we too are prone to idolatry also. Don't don't mistake this, folks. Our, Our tendency is also to be idolatrous. Now, of course, most of the time, you know, we most of us are not bowing down to some sort of, uh, you know, statue or some sort of uh, golden calf per se, not a physical idol. But nevertheless, we have all sorts of idols. Uh, as John Calvin famously said, the human heart is an idol factory. It's constantly producing something to believe in. Luther would talk about an idol this way. It's anything that we put our hope and trust in that we ultimately look to for life and security. If you want to see a more detailed discussion of that, look at Luther's large catechism on the first commandment. It's a masterful explanation of what it means to not fall into idolatry. So with that way of kind of thinking, what are some of the idols that we find ourselves prone to? Well, of course, there's, there's the obvious ones that we think about. There's uh, the idol of money, in which we look to money to be our security and our provision and our hope for the future. Uh, if we ran out of it, then all of a sudden we would feel as if our life was over. Uh, there's the idol of celebrity. There's the idol of comfort, which is, uh, I think, a much bigger idol for us than we recognize. Uh, and of course, right now, we're seeing the idol of politics play out. As now we're on, you know, what is it, the fourth day of the election, and we still don't have all the answers. And frankly, we may not have all the answers for quite some time. And it doesn't take long. If you're on Twitter or Facebook or wherever else you get your social media drug, um, where you can find evidence of idolatry. And one of the ways this manifests itself is it's not that you care passionately about something. That's fine. Caring passionately about politics is fine. If you're really into politics and want to, um, and, and really involved in the process, great. But there's a difference between caring 
and being passionate about something and feeling like if my candidate doesn't win or if my party doesn't win, I just feel like the whole world's going to be over. I don't know how I can go on with those people in office. Folks, if that's the tendency, well, that shows you it's a pretty good indicator that there's some idolatry going on. So it's not just an old time struggle where we look at these old ancient people and go, oh man, what buffoons, you know, that they were prone to this idolatry. No, it's a struggle for all of us. And I could go on and on and on. Even good things become idols. As a matter of fact, most idols start off as good things. They're just corrupted and we give them more value than they were ever meant to have in our life. Another example of an idol, uh, verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Indeed, if we see a, a very common idol in our culture, it is also this. The idea that, that one's sexual pleasure is almost paramount to living the good life. It is sort of defined as, uh, as being an example of, of living a modern existence that you just give in to your sexual desires and find others that are willing to do so with you. Paul says, no, 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 that's not what sex was meant for. Sex was meant for marriage. That's where it's, sex is a good thing, but it's a corrupted thing when we turn it into an idol and give ourselves over to it. And indeed, the nation of Israel throughout all of its history in the Old Testament is constantly, constantly, constantly tempted this way. One of the big ways that they fall often is they go after other nations' women. And these other women, of course, worship false gods and inspire the men, often the men, to worship these false gods with them. And so this was a big problem for the nation of Israel. And again, it's not far removed from us today. Paul says, verse 9, We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, it is interesting to me here that, you know, Paul sort of mentions like biggies up front, you know, the things that we kind of naturally go, yeah, that's a problem. Worshiping a false god, bad news. Uh, sexual immorality, bad news. But then he says, a little longer than a few minutes later. What I was in the middle of pointing out uh, in, uh, in the passage is that something interesting happens in that Paul compares, I mean, at first... He's sort of talking about idolatry and he's talking about it, you know, and sort of these big things that we expect to be associated with idolatry, you know, sexual immorality, worshiping, you know, um, idol, you know, these false you know, golden calves and that sort of thing. I mean, that's what he's talking about. But then all of a sudden he compares also, he lumps in there grumbling. Now, why would grumbling be seen as tantamount to idolatry? Well, if you think about it just for a second, what are we really doing when we grumble and complain? And boy, is this painful for me to acknowledge as I'm prone to doing it anytime I have the slightest bit of discomfort. Well, what we're doing when we grumble or complain is literally we're expressing discontent with, with God's rule of our lives. And indeed, Israel is constantly guilty of this throughout the Old Testament. As they go through the wilderness, what do they do? Oh, the glory days back in Egypt of garlic and leeks and onions. And oh, how we love the days back when we were under Pharaoh. You know, they, they are constantly discontented. And Paul says that can be a form of idolatry too. And in fact, it led to many, many children of Israel being destroyed in the wilderness. 
So what does Paul say in verse 11 of chapter 10? Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. In other words, we're in the last days now. This is something that we should look to as an example. Therefore, verse 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Ooh, that is so important. If I could say, if I could put it another way, instead of looking back to these people and being like, oh man, what buffoons that they would fall into these stupid traps. No, 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 no. Recognize you're just as prone to it as they are. Or in other words, the famous saying, there but by the grace of God go I, ought to be the model for how we live. We ought to recognize our own tendency towards these same kinds of idols and live a life of daily repentance as a result. That's really what I think he's getting at here. And then we have the famous verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No doubt many of you have heard it before. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Indeed, idolatry is common to man. Everybody's tempted and prone to doing it. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, this is a wonderful promise from God's word that God has the power in order to get us out of these situations, to provide the way of escape when we're drawn to doing these things that ultimately are harmful for us and harmful for our neighbor. Uh, on the other hand, I do want to point out something about this verse that I think is very, very important. And that is this. There's an awful lot of people that have used this verse to, to say, God will never let you have uh, go through more than you can handle. God will never let you experience more than you can handle. And uh, folks, that is not what this verse says. In fact, I'll go as far as to say that is nonsense. In fact, God will let us go through all sorts of things that we personally can't handle at all. That's true. If you don't believe me, you should go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in which Paul says in chapter 2, where he discusses going through such an affliction that he felt like he was at the point of death beyond his ability to carry. In, that very, in the very next book, to the very same church, he basically contradicts the idea that God will ever give us more than we can handle. God does sometimes give us far more than we can handle. As a matter of fact, there's a whole lot that we can't handle. But there's nothing that he can't handle. That's the point. This isn't about your strength. This is about his strength. This is about depending on him, learning to depend on him rather than depending on the idols we look to for comfort and security. That's the idea behind Paul's statement here. Not that you are going to have enough strength within yourself to handle the difficulties of life. You don't. No, that's the, that's the root of idolatry. The root of idolatry is independence from God. Whereas, in fact, what it means to actually grow in the Christian life is greater dependence upon God, recognizing that you're much weaker, much more prone to temptation, much more prone to sinning than you may have ever thought you were. Indeed, this is why Paul says in verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, run away from it. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. And isn't it interesting, right at, in the context here, this is where we get the famous communion verses that if you're part of 
a more liturgical church when it comes to the Lord's Supper usually are quoted in that liturgy. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a partition, uh, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Just as the people of Israel all partook of the water that came from the rock, just as the people of Israel all partook of the manna that fell from heaven, so we too as Christians all come to the table together and partake of the same bread that is the body of Christ and the same wine that is the blood of Christ. That's his idea here. He's making this comparison. And then he says, verse 18, Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? Just as we're participants in the altar, they were participants in the altar. This is the idea. What he implies is this, that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. No, Israel fell into that trap when they worshiped Baal and they worshiped all these false gods throughout their time in, in the history of Israel. They were falling into the trap of worshiping demons. They, may, they didn't know it. They weren't thinking that, but that's indeed what they were. They were both participating and receiving the Lord's gifts as they were gathered at the temple for worship. And yet at the same time, they would go out and do these idolatrous things. And Paul says, no, 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 you can't have both. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. This is the idea that, in other words, either God is God or something else is taking the place of God. And Paul doesn't want us to be led astray off into worshiping false gods, counterfeit gods that will ultimately kill us. Because here's what counterfeit gods do, folks. They hold a carrot out in front of us and they say, if you do these things, I'll give you such and such. But they never deliver. And they constantly have you chasing after this carrot until it kills you. This is always what idols do. If I just have enough money, if I just have the right people in political office, if I just have enough fame, if I just have the right partner, whatever the case may be, the idol's always promising to deliver something it cannot deliver. The only one that can truly deliver what we really need is the one who gives his body and blood up for us at the cross, Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't want us falling into the trap of believing all this other garbage out there can hold a candle to what Jesus, the one who sacrifices himself out of great love for us, can give us. So he says in closing for today, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? No, we're not stronger than he. We are not. We can, this is, we don't want to battle against the Lord. We want to learn to depend more on the Lord. So indeed, the good news for you and I is we've been baptized into Christ. We've received the body and blood of Christ. We have every reason, every objective reason to know that we are forgiven and saved and whole in him. So let us abide in him. Let us not run after those other, other idols. And when we do, and we will, it's a guarantee we will, we will not, we will fall short in this. When we do, let us go back to first things. 
Let us repent and acknowledge our constant need for our hearts that are idol factories to be shut down and reworked by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the idol factory be shut down by the power of the Holy Spirit and let Christ reside there all of our days. All right, 